Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast, coming to you from the IndieWire Sundance condo in Park City, Utah. On day one of Sundance, I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor-in-chief critic, across the table from Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large. But before we get into Sundance, Ann, we need to talk about the Oscars, because usually the Oscars the nominations anyway, land during the festival. But fortunately, we got it out of the way early this year with the Tuesday nominations. So let's get into this. It seems like in spite of what a lot of prognostication was indicating, there were some really pleasant surprises and support for movies that you and I both really like all across the nominees. Yeah, and my su- suggestion that maybe Roma was doing very well is being borne out. It got 10 nominations. And then there were these three more nominations for Buster Scruggs, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the Coen Brothers Netflix movie, which was in theaters for a very short time. Netflix is still in theaters with uh, Roma a month after it was made uh, available on Netflix. So I like to think about the idea that this movie is actually this weird new order of uh, art film and global film being seen all over the world on Netflix by Spanish-speaking countries and everyone else. And ultimately, that narrative is probably much stronger than Netflix doesn't care about movie theaters or whatever the fear was there. That backlash doesn't exist. I mean, it may exist in a few quarters, but it's not widely held across all the branches of the Academy. And uh, Roma did miss um, a few things, but it, it's 10 is fabulous. And then you have uh, something like Cold War, the Pavlikovsky movie, getting three nominations. And that was one of the ones that we've been talking about. A lot of people are saying there is this real possibility that Pavel Pawlikowski gets into Best Director. Who doesn't? Bradley Cooper. So even though Star is Born does have some strong nominations, Lady Gaga, eight eight nominations. You know the Shallows. It's a front runner, and then we can forget about that song. But... Bradley Cooper. That's the problem. We can't forget that. <laughs> yeah, it's, a it's already yeah. won because it's yeah. such a... It's, yeah. but, but the thing is, Cooper could not ultimately convey to people that he was the filmmaker that he needed to, perhaps, in this campaign trail, especially when you had people who really were already respected as filmmakers, like Pavel and obviously Quaron and, and Spike Peter Lee. And Peter didn't make it either, even though the, the Green Room is supposedly the front runner because it won the PGA over the weekend. That doesn't. I'm, I'm looking at all of these conventional ideas about what makes a best picture contender, what makes a winner at the Oscars, and I'm looking at SAG, which really doesn't line up properly. The DGA doesn't line up properly, and neither did the PGA necessarily line up. Well, they're all pieces of this larger puzzle, and I think what's been really interesting to to see is that they don't. N- none of these things point to one specific outcome. They just suggest various kinds of hypotheses. And we saw a synthesis of different kinds of support. But I do think that even though Black, you know, Green Book may play well for the Academy, a lot of these movies do also in ways that you can't discount, especially Black Klansman, which has had a very active campaign. And getting Spike Lee into Best Director is really cool because I feel like we weren't talking about that nearly as much. Everyone was saying, yeah, he'll probably get into adapted screenplay. And if he does, he's a frontrunner, so he's in there. But Director is very interesting because that narrative is quite strong. Him being in his 60s, never nominated before, all that stuff. So, so you've got, um, the, he's the sixth black director to be nominated for the Oscars. And if he were to win, he would be the first black director to win. And I do think there's a narrative that is strong there. 
And it could be a narrative that's so strong that he could end up beating out Alfonso Cuaron, who could win cinematography, Mm -hmm. who could win best picture, who could win best foreign. You know, these are, he's not going to win editing. They didn't give him that, which is a sign of weakness, according to some people. Like there's this whole other point of wisdom that if you aren't in the editing branch, if you don't get those nominations, you're not going to win. I don't believe that. No, and and the cinematography thing alone is pretty striking. You know, a lot of times, like PTA shots. Anomaly too. Yeah, PTA shop Phantom Thread and did a really good job and didn't get nominated. Cinematographers often say, if you're a director, you're not a cinematographer, what are you doing? But he clearly delivered and seems to be the front runner in that category. The Roman narrative is very strong, but he already won for director, all that kind of stuff. Overall, these are very exciting nominations. I think they did really well. I, I'm happy about Black Panther getting six. I'm happy about Black Klansman getting six. I'm happy about the fact that um, the the... Favorite got ten. That doesn't mean it's going to win everything. It could win nothing. Yeah, but it's but a Olivia really Coleman beautifully made movie. Olivia Colman, actor and race, very close race between among three, because you've got Lady Gaga and you've Olivia. got Olivia Colman and you've got Glenn Close all fighting for that spot. Right. And, you couldn't ask for more different actresses fighting for that for that top one. But, but what's fun at, the, at this stage is to sort of look around and, and the, the race changes in phase two and the campaigners kick in and there's new stories to tell. You know, what is the sympathy vote for Bradley Cooper going to mean <laughs> in the acting race? Does he have a chance to beat out someone like um, Rami Malek or Christian Bale, who is the current front runner, I think. What is this, all the scandal around Brian Singer? How does that impact? And don't forget the scandal around Green Book, which a lot of the the kind of negative press broke late on that movie, and it does seem to have a lot of support, but at this stage of the game, how might the campaign change, and and what else might we hear from people now that it really does have a shot in these major categories? What's so interesting about Green Book is that it obviously is sort of the same as the crash vote. Remember that year? Unfortunately, I do remember that year. Brokeback Mountain did not. You know, if you followed all the signs, it should have been Brokeback Mountain, and it wasn't. And I think that Green Book is almost like um, there's this white male demo that gets upset at, at all the inclusion. <laughs> How dare you say that I'm a white male with a white male perspective like this movie? And, and, and they, no, it's almost like they dig in their heels and they love this movie. They love it defiantly. They don't want to hear anything bad about it. And then it becomes a pro, almost a protest vote where it's like the backlash enhances their support for it or something to that effect. But. There's actually some cockamamie theory out there because what everybody's asking is, who's doing all this digging? Who's finding these tweets you know, that Peter Farrelly did years ago mm-hmm. or, or the Nick Vallelonga did, you know, on, and which were deleted? That, he, he was like supporting New Jersey, you know, people. Supporting the BS that Trump was saying about Muslims reporting on 9/11, but who cares who who was doing it? He said it. I mean, he did that. Yeah, he did that. So 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 they've 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 put him in the background uh, as they've put Brian Singer in the background of of Bohemian Rhapsody. But there there is another um, kind of theory that even Universal did it on purpose to to get the backlash, which is absurd. Of course, I know it's not true, but who did? Who yeah. is behind I mean, it? it? Maybe it was a plant. Maybe it was not. The way that the Valalonga tweet, tweet came out, as far as I could tell, when we 
first jumped on that news seemed like a very organic process, but there's just a lot of stuff going on right now in terms of how the conversation shifts. It could also be somebody who wants to see Green Book go down and is not working on a competing movie because there are people who just don't want that movie to win, and it's going to get down to the bone for other reasons, like Netflix. So let's say they did spend whatever it was, $30 million, $40 million in the last several months, as has been estimated with all the different stuff that they've been doing. They own their own billboards. That's true. But they, but they have been doing so much. I mean, it's just it's amazing how much yeah. visibility. In their defense, I would have to say that they had a black and white, foreign language, Mexican Oscar entry. And they were trying to get it into the best picture race. And the only way to do that was to get people to see it. Well, I'm even more impressed with the Yelita Aparicio nomination, getting her into Best Actress, a woman who's never acted before, was a school teacher, you know, or a year ago. Or Tavira right. in, 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 in supporting. That's right. unbelievable, too. Right. No, yeah. I was expecting that. Right. And then, and then you have these categories that, that are perhaps less... Uh, flashy, but I think are also quite interesting to look at from a campaign standpoint. Foreign language, where you have Sony Classics getting two movies in, one of which not a lot of people have seen, Never Look Away, and, uh, and the other is Capernaum. Yeah, but. And also, it's Florian Henkel von Donnersmark, who was known for The Lives of Others, which won before. And also, the cinematography was from Caleb Deschanel. And it is a gorgeously shot movie. And Caleb has been, um, Deschanel has been nominated before, never won. So that's how he got into the cinematography race. So that category is actually kind of fascinating because Roma is obviously the front runner, but, you know, Cold War is in there too. So there's a lot of unpredictability there with Netflix versus Amazon directly in, in both foreign and director and Quaron and Pavlikovsky are good close friends well at MBR They're against each other uh, in foreign language well you know at M- the MBRs yes, did not are. Roma didn't win MBR and uh and when Pavlikovsky came up for his foreign language speech he actually said it's weird to be in a room without Alfonso Quaron so <laughs> that gives you a sense of what the last few weeks have been like for those guys and then you have documentary where free solo seems to be a real front runner definitely and that's, it's, that's great. It's, it's the one that did the best business that, that actually got nominated. RBG did well, too. Uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor was snubbed, the Morgan Neville film, which a lot of people are scratching their heads about, but it's very typical of this branch. They did it with Jane, which was very well regarded and very popular. They almost want to reward movies that need their help. That seems to be their, their sensibility. I think a lot of armchair analysts of the Oscars don't realize who's actually doing this stuff. I mean, they are working artists for the most part. A lot of them make the stuff that they're voting on or make versions of it, and they have strong opinions. And so. especially in the documentary branch, they're very, I mean, Morgan Neville already won the Oscar, so they're very, um, I don't know, they don't like to give people a second one. Let's put it that way. Yeah, spread the love. I can see the philosophy. Someone like Alex Gibney hasn't been nominated since he won for Taxi to the Dark Side. Morgan hasn't been nominated since he won for 20 Feet from Stardom. It's the way they go. It's an interesting parallel in that respect. So there are only, I believe, four films uh, that were nominated, or four nominations anyway, that were at Sundance last year. That's what was stated earlier today at a press conference for the festival. But it's, so it's RBG, 
so I, th- I think some of the other documentaries, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm not going to be able to, to say all of those things. But I do know that for what's, what's interesting is that it's not exclusive to the major categories. There's an editing nomination for the editor of, of The Favorite, who's a Greek editor, who edited a film called Monos from Colombia that's in the international section. And uh, there's... Um, so, Marina so, de Tavira. Marina de Tavira, nominated supporting actress, is coming to... Uh, it's also in an international film at Sundance this year. So, you know, regardless of what, what got nominated that was here last year, I think it is interesting, too, that uh, there are people who are very actively working on different kinds of projects. Right. So. Let's talk about that. So Sundance always introduces a number of documentary um, uh, contenders, and they uh, are going to be uh, doing it again. I mean, we will. There's there's a list a mile long, and I will recommend. Most of us have to see these movies under embargo. We do get screeners, but we're not allowed to talk to them until we've seen a lot. We have. <laughs> we can't. We can't really give hints. And we've seen different things, um, and we're not really allowed to talk about them until they until they play. But Kenny Turan of the LA Times has written a story reviewing every single thing. Nah, he just wrote little blurbs. They're, so. they're, they're, his point of view is very clear. I mean, he's a great critic, but there's no nuance when you're just doing blurbs. Let's be honest here. I mean, I think what's going to be really interesting about Sunday this year is that there are a lot of unknown variables. There are things that look promising, certainly things that buyers want to jump on, but from an award standpoint, a movie that could really pop is quite possibly something that, as we're talking right now, isn't necessarily on everyone's radar. Could it be a performance or something to that effect? And on the narrative side, there really wasn't anything from Sundance last year, and I don't see anything obvious. Obvi- the, the stuff that is popping the most, and he liked Late Night, for example, the Emma Thompson, Mindy Kaling movie about a late night talk show host played by Thompson, and she's a, um, a, a woman of color who gets a job as a, a staff writer, and she um, wrote it as well. And that's one of the reasons they're comparing it to the big sick because it's also right. a big deal right. acquisition that Although, everybody could jump on. Yeah, that, I mean, that does sound like the right kind of comparison to the big sick as opposed to another movie with underrepresented characters, yeah, yeah, you know, but unfortunately it does feel a little bit also, like that's where that's coming from. to the extent that Mindy Kaling has been part of that world. Right, uh, it's, a, it's a passion project of sorts. One film he didn't mention, and I don't know if he didn't see it or, or what it was, but The Farewell, which is a film in U.S. competition, um, probably not on a ton of people's radars yet. I'm excited but, by that one because it has such a great concept, and it's personal, and it's uh, in an American-Chinese story in both languages right and and it's 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 lulu wang it's her directorial debut but it stars off you're supposed to say wong lulu Lulu wong let the record show (laughs) someone someone may correct the record again later but you know at least we're acknowledging that that we don't exactly know but it it stars aquafina who had a pretty good year last year and and could this could be a big step up for her so that's the kind of thing that i'm always really kind of fascinated by is what sort of there it's an intriguing possibility but it's not a given you know that it's it's going to play well or sell has, big or whatever. It has a slight, slightly crazy rich Asians feel in the sense that it's a personal story about a a, a woman who's going to a wedding uh, that's being set up in order to give the grandmother who has a terminal illness a chance to see all of her family members, and so it's not real. 
but the grandmother doesn't know. And that, that seems like it could be very specific and very universal at the same time. Yeah, I, I, what, what I like about these kinds of films is that it seems like Sundance has a lot of them this year. Movies that the premise sounds intriguing. The filmmaker is not a known quantity. There may or may not be some you know veteran cast to them, but it really does feel like it might be a more unpredictable year in, in that respect. I mean, you know, tonight... We're going to go see After the Wedding, and we're going to go see Native Son, and one of those is an acquisition title with stars, and the other one was produced by A24, but over the next several days, there's going to be a lot more stuff that doesn't have distribution, that is sort of a kind of unknown in the next section, and, and even in, in throughout the, the U.S. competition, by and large, these are not films that have distribution yet. You know, a film like Loose from Julius Ona, which has a really great cast, Naomi Watts, Tim Roth, uh, Kelvin Harrison Jr. is the sort of thing that clearly buyers are going to take an interest in because of the cast, but they have to wait and see if the film delivers for an audience. That's the thing. I mean, I'm sort of interested in this movie, The Sunlit Night, from a German director named David Wendt, who had um, a number of hits in Germany, so this is his first English-language film. And they gave that one a prime slot. It's a really good time. And it's it's one of these fish-out-of-water romances where Jenny Slate is the American painter from New York who goes to, like, Arctic Norway, mm. and Zach v- Galifianakis is in it. I'm, I'm, you know, these, these are movies that pop out to me uh, a little bit. The Report could be interesting. Scott Z. Burns, who has written for Soderbergh, he did Contagion, he's done some other things. It's his directorial debut um, with uh, an Oscar nominee, Adam Driver. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of these CIA uh, uh, question of how they behave in the uh, interrogation room. Um, and, and apparently Annette Benning does a great job playing uh, Diane Feinstein, uh, the senator. Um, sure. I'm, I'm curious about that. Um, Don't forget about, um, there's some other stuff on here that seems like it's a pretty much a safe bet. I mean, you have something like this, um, this Bruce Springsteen-inspired film, uh, Blinded by the Light, from the director of Bending Like Beckham. Corinda Chada. Yeah, which is just the sort of thing. It's like Bruce Springsteen, coming-of-age story, known director like that just seems like it's again a high concept and apparently there's a a lot of bruce springsteen music in it Um, right just getting the rights to that is a small miracle he went along with it and he likes it apparently that's the word on on the on the street um we're just going through the schedule now we could be here for hours but there's there's the new alex gibney movie which looks really interesting as mike wallace is here timely timely docs are all over i think they have 47 docs uh, which, if those of us remember Dr. Ruth, uh, could be... She's could touched be many generations, so to speak. <laughs> so, uh, But there's, you know, we're going to find out. Where's My Roy, Roy Cohn is a documentary about the notorious New York uh, power broker who went back to the McCarthy era and continued through to Donald Trump, up to no good, uh, from director Matt Turnauer. But I, I just want to point out that people who are either at Sundance or following Sundance Buzz for, from afar, it's such a, it, it can be a very unpredictable sort of thing. I mean, movies like After the Wedding, which, it, you know, there, a lot of buyers are going to want to check that out. Julianne Moore in this re- Yeah, which is a remake of, uh, you know, Suzanne Beer films. Like, that's obviously everybody's going to be curious about that. But the movies that are kind of have no buzz altogether, they could be really good too because somebody pro- chose to program that movie. And sometimes programmers agree on things that, you know, you're not quite sure how that happened. But in, there are a lot of cases where it's like, oh, that thing that's in 
the next section or even in you know the premiere section or, or somewhere they found a place for a movie that maybe they were tracking because it was in the labs or who knows why but it just has no heat on it and it has to screen to get that heat absolutely they have to see how it plays with an audience and that's what's fun it's fun these are movies there are a lot of movies here that nobody has seen with an audience and we're all in there looking at them for the first time and, and yes we saw some screeners but there are a lot of movies that we didn't see and i'm really excited to see how they play and the buyers are going to check them out. And it's interesting, this is the first year that Apple will be here mm-hmm. as a buyer. Wouldn't want to compete with them in a bidding war, but um, you know they don't have to buy anything because they're freaking Apple. You buy their iPhones. So, <laughs> so they started out with, with the Elephant documentary that they picked up uh, and I'm curi- out of Toronto, and I'm curious to see if there's one thing that they decide to sort of put their money down on. If and the company also has a partnership with A24, so if they want to partner with them or if they want to partner That's with somebody right. else, they might be able to do something like that. And we so. don't know how they're going to distribute their movies. I mean, that's the whole thing with that, with Netflix joining the MPAA, which was announced yesterday, and with um, with all these Oscar nominations, uh, maybe Amazon joins the uh, MPAA too. I mean, it's a whole new world order, and they're making so much product on their own that they don't necessarily have to buy anything. And so everybody's curious to see if they're going to get back into uh, the acquisitions mode. Right. And, it, and it, then you have all these other smaller buyers, and they don't know if that's going to make their lives easier or harder. I mean, it really feels like this incredibly unpredictable landscape, which if you work in this business is probably very daunting. If you're tracking it, it's kind of exciting because uh, who knows? I mean, something like Honey Boy, right? U.S. competition. Shia LaBeouf wrote this movie. It was directed by Alma Harrell could perhaps play really well, could be seen as a Shia LaBeouf prank, could be seen as, you know, a very inspiring story. But no matter what, buyers are going to go to it and sort of wait and see if, if the potential is really there. So, um, but, but, you know, I, I think, you know, films that are in the international section, like The Souvenir, which A24 locked down early and has already locked down the, the sequel to, um, are going to generate a different kind of response to the festival because they're they're not necessarily available or they're not necessarily easy sells uh, because they're foreign language or when Suvier is British, but because it's, you know, it's a different kind of movie. But it, Sundance could create a platform for a film like that if, uh, you know, the conversation is positive around it here. It is also worth pointing well, out. Critics do have an impact. Yeah, was, and all uh, the tweets that go out after these screenings from all the people who are here have an impact on yeah, film Twitter. Totally. Word to the wise. Be, be careful with your tweets if you're at Sundance because they go into those press breaks that publicists send to their talent the same way reviews do now and you can have a real impact but if you're you know saying something really gnarly or you're saying something overly positive and then you change your mind you know that buzz can be tremendously influential in terms of who goes to the next screening and stuff like that so it is this really kind of fascinating fast-paced environment where you know every audience member can have a direct effect on the ultimate life of a movie. I'm so. curious to see what happens with the CNN entry this year. They came in with RBG last year, which and uh, it did very well. It worked three, out okay. Three identical strangers, by the way. So, um, but this one uh, is Apollo 13, which is this sort of fascinating archive story right. of how this stuff came out of NASA that was 65 millimeter. That was gorgeous, high res stuff, and it's the same story that we saw. If those of us who liked First Man mm-hmm. could could get a kick out of the real documentary 
behind yeah, that and story. it's the 50th anniversary and all that stuff. So that, but you know, that's a neon release, and neon bought that movie a while ago. That company came here last year, spent 10 million dollars on a movie called Assassination Nation that that completely bombed. So the question is, with somebody like that, and for other buyers who are watching from the sidelines, do they come back in as an aggressive buyer, or are they content to just use the festival as a launch pad? Now, if I were a buyer and I had good movies in my, you know pipeline i would just be content to launch those movies at the festival as opposed to worrying about doing business you know in a bidding war in the middle of the night where you may or may not wind up with the right thing or you might overpay and all that kind of stuff so it is kind of an interesting question of just how much people want to throw down go back to the question about the media coverage so at the press conference that opened the festival carrie putnam said that 63 percent of media and attendance at the festival are underrepresented journalists. This is part of an initiative by the festival. TIFF was doing a similar kind of thing. If you filled out your application form, there was sort of an optional box you could check about your ethnicity. So they are tracking this data, making an effort to prioritize those journalists. And, you know, the the competition is very diverse. So 63%? 63%. Majority of journalists. And the question is, one, which, you know... Which numbers are they... I mean, are we talking about women... So, so I believe it's it's women, people of color. Um, they're, they're, you know, you you look at the um, the way that these. Women are not really underrepresented as journalists. Well, but but to to Carrie's point in her prepared statements, the majority of critics, especially at festivals, have been white men, and so the men part and the white part are both things they were trying to fix. Poor Jeff Wells. Uh, let's not even get into that. That's a whole. That's a whole story that he can he can continue to tell on his own site. But I do think what's what's notable is so you got the the quote unquote underrepresented journalists of the festival. I remember last year seeing a very diverse competition and feeling that it was not being appropriately acknowledged by the media or at least wrestled with culturally because of that. So it does have an impact if your but media is not. So where do they write? So this is an open question: is just how much will this sixty three percent really find those outlets? find a way to be responsive to the lineup. Will we see media coverage of Sundance that is reflecting the diversity and responding to these stories from perspectives that maybe can relate to them or, or offer a different kind of perspective than the more traditional one? So that's something to keep in mind is as you look at how Sundance is covered, is it does it seem to reflect the conversations you're seeing on, on Twitter, for example, or what the lineup seems to suggest, or are we still dealing with a status quo problem? So... On that note, let's get into the movies. Yeah, exactly. So next time, we'll actually be convening on uh, Main Street uh, at the uh, Canada Goose Lounge on Tuesday at noon. So if you are in Park City, you can come to a live recording of Screen Talk and uh, ask questions or heckle us or just sort of sit back and watch us argue about the last few days. But we'll certainly have a lot more Sundance stuff to talk about then. So we hope to see some of you then or uh, hope you tune in to listen to the end result. It's always fun to talk to you in person, Eric. Let's do this. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.